Book One, Chapter Ten of *The Return of the Native* by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book One: The Three Women, Chapter Ten: A Desperate Attempt at Persuasion. The next morning, at the time when the height of the sun appeared very insignificant from any part of the heath as compared with the altitude of Rainbarrow, and when all the little hills in the lower levels were like an archipelago in a fog-formed Aegean, the riddleman came from the brambled nook which she had adopted as his quarters, and ascended the slopes of Mistover Knapp. Though these shaggy hills were apparently so solitary, several keen round eyes were always ready on such a wintry morning as this to converge upon a passer-by feathered species sojourned here in hiding which would have created wonder if found elsewhere a bustard haunted the spot and not many years before this five-and-twenty might have been seen in egnan at one time marsh harriers looked up from the valley by wild eaves a cream-coloured courser had used to visit this hill a bird so rare that not more than a dozen have ever been seen in england but a barbarian rested neither night nor day till he had shot the african truant and after that event cream-coloured coursers thought fit to enter egdon no more a traveller who should walk and observe any of these visitants as venn observed them now could feel himself to be in direct communication with regions unknown to man here in front of him was a wild mallard just arrived from the home of the north wind the creature brought within him an amplitude of northern knowledge glacial catastrophes snowstorm episodes glittering auroral effects polaris in the zenith franklin underfoot the category of his commonplaces was wonderful but the bird like many other philosophers seemed as he looked at the redoman to think that a present moment of comfortable reality was worth a decade of memories. Then passed on through these, towards the house of the isolated beauty who lived up among them and despised them. The day was Sunday, but as going to church, except to be married or buried, was exceptional at Egdon, this made little difference. He had determined, upon the bold stroke, of asking for an interview with Miss Vi to attack her position as thomason's rival either by art or by storm showing therein somewhat too conspicuously the want of gallantry characteristic of a certain astute sort of men from clowns to kings the great frederick making war on the beautiful archduchess napoleon refusing terms to the beautiful queen of prussia were not more dead to difference of sex than the redoman was in his peculiar way in planning the displacement of eustatia to call at the captain's cottage was always more or less an undertaking for the interior inhabitants. Though occasionally chatty, his moods were erratic, and nobody could be certain how he would behave at any particular moment. Eustatia was reserved, and lived very much to herself. Except the daughter of one of the cotters, who was their servant, and a lad who worked in the garden and stable, scarcely anyone but themselves ever entered the house they were the only genteel people of the district except the obrights and though far from rich 
they did not feel that necessity for preserving a friendly face towards every man bird and beast which influenced their poorer neighbours when the redman entered the garden the old man was looking through his glass at the stain of blue sea in the distant landscape the little anchors on his buttons twinkling in the sun he recognized venn as his companion on the highway but made no remark on that circumstance merely saying ah rattleman you here have a glass of grog venn declined on the plea of it being too early and stated that his business was with miss vi the captain surveyed him from cap to waistcoat and from waistcoat to leggings for a few moments and finally asked him to go indoors miss vi was not to be seen by anybody just then and the redman waited in the window bench of the kitchen his hands hanging across his divergent knees and his cap hanging from his hands i suppose the young lady is not up yet he presently said to the servant not quite yet folks never call upon ladies at this time of day then i'll step outside said venn if she is willing to see me will she please send out word and i'll come in the redman left the house and loitered on the hill adjoining a considerable time elapsed and no request for his presence was brought he was beginning to think that his scheme had failed when he beheld the form of eustasia herself coming leisurely towards him a sense of novelty in giving audience to that singular figure had been sufficient to draw her forth she seemed to feel after a bare look at diggory venn that the man had come on a strange errand and that he was not so mean as she had thought him for her close approach did not cause him to writhe uneasily or shift his feet or show any of those little signs which escape an ingenious rustic at the advent of the uncommon in womankind on his inquiring if he might have a conversation with her she replied yes walk beside me and continued to move on before they had gone far it occurred to the perspicacious redleman that he would have acted more wisely by appearing less unimpressionable and he reserved to correct the error as soon as he could find opportunity i have made so bold miss as to step across and tell you some strange news which has come to my ears about that man ah what man he jerked his elbow to the southeast the direction of the quiet woman eustacia turned quickly to him do you mean mr wildeve yes there is trouble in a household on account of him and i have come to let you know of it because i believe you might have power to drive it away i what is the trouble it is quite secret it is that he may refuse to marry thomasin yobright after all eustacia though set inwardly pulsing by his words was equal to her part in such a drama as this she replied coldly i do not wish to listen to this and you must not expect me to interfere uh, but miss you will hear one word i cannot i am not interested in the marriage and even if i were i could not compel mr wildeve to do my bidding as the only lady on the heath i think you might said venn with subtle indirectness this is how the case stands mr wildeve would marry thomason at once and make all matters smooth if so be there were not another woman in this case 
this other woman is some person he has picked up with and meets on the heath occasionally i believe oh he will never marry her and yet through her he may never marry the woman who loves him dearly now if you miss who have so much sway over us menfolk were to insist that he should treat your young neighbor tamson with honorable kindness and give up the other woman he would perhaps do it and save her a good deal of misery ah oh, my life said eustacia with a laugh which unclosed her lips so that the sun showed into her mouth as into a tulip and lent it a similar scarlet fire you think too much of my influence over menfolk indeed brettelman if i had such a power as you imagine i would go straight and use it for the good of anybody who's been kind to me which thomason yobright has not particularly to my knowledge oh, can it be that you really don't know of it how much she has always thought of you i have never heard a word of it although we live only two miles apart i have never been inside her aunt's house in my life the superciliousness that lurked in her manner told Van that thus far he had utterly failed. He inwardly sighed, and felt it necessary to unmask his second argument. Well, leaving that out of the question, tis in your power, I assure you, Miss Fye, to do a great deal of good to another woman. She shook her head. Your comeliness is law with Mr. Wild Eve it is law with all the men who see you they say this well-favoured lady coming what's her name how handsome H handsomer than thomas and yobright the redoman persisted saying to himself Ooh, god forgive a rascal for lying and she was handsomer but the redoman was far from thinking so there was a certain obscurity in Eustace's beauty, and Venn's eye was not trained. In her winter dress, as now, she was like the tiger-beetle, which, when observed in dull situations, seems to be of the quietest neutral colour, but under a full illumination blazes with dazzling splendour. Eustacia could not help replying, though conscious that she endangered her dignity thereby many women are lovelier than thomasin she said so not much attaches to that the redoman suffered the wound and went on he is a man who notices the looks of women and you could twist him to your will like a withy wind if you only had the mind surely what she cannot do who has been so much with him i cannot do living up here away from him the redoman wheeled and looked her in the face <sighs> miss fye he said why do you say that as if you doubted me she spoke faintly and her breathing was quick the idea of your speaking in that tone to me she added with a forced smile of hauteur what could have been in your mind to lead you to speak like that why should you make believe that you don't know this man i know why certainly he is beneath you and you are ashamed you are mistaken what do you mean 
the Rettleman had decided to play the card of truth. I was at the meeting by Rainbarrow last night, and heard every word, he said. The woman that stands between Wild Eve and Thomason is yourself. It was a disconcerting lift of the curtain, and the mortification of Candelie's wife glowed in her. The moment had arrived when her lip would tremble in spite of herself, and when the gasp could no longer be kept down. I am unwell, she said hurriedly. No, it is not that. I am not in a humour to hear you further. Leave me, please. I must speak, Miss Fy, in spite of paining you. What I would put before you is this. However it may come about, whether she is to blame or you, her case is without doubt worse than yours. Your giving up Mr. Wildeve will be a real advantage to you, uh, for how could you marry him? Now she cannot get off so easily. Everybody will blame her if she loses him. Then I ask you, not because her right is best, but because her situation is worst, to give him up to her. No, I won't. I won't, she said impetuously, quite forgetful of her previous manner towards the Rettleman as an underling. Nobody has ever been served so. It was going on well. I will not be beaten down by an inferior woman like her. It is very well for you to come and plead for her, but is she not herself the cause of all her own trouble? Am I not to show favour to any person I may choose, without asking permission of a parcel of cottagers? She has come between me and my inclination, and now that she finds herself rightly punished, she gets you to plead for her. Indeed, said Venn earnestly. She knows nothing whatever about it. It is only I who ask you to give him up. It will be better for her and you both. People will say bad things if they find out that a lady secretly meets with a man who has ill-used another woman i have not injured her he was mine before he was hers he came back because because he liked me best she said wildly but i lose all self-respect in talking to you what am i giving way to i can keep secrets said van gently you need not fear i am the only man who knows of your meeting with him there is but one more thing to speak of, and then I will be gone. I heard you say to him that you hated living here, that Egdon Heath was a jail to you. I did say so. There is a sort of beauty in the scenery, I know, but it is a jail to me. The man you mention does not save me from that feeling, though he lives here. I should have cared nothing for him had there been a better person near. The Rattleman looked hopeful. After these words from her, his third attempt seemed promising. As we have now opened our minds a bit, miss, he said, I'll tell you what I have got to propose. Since I have taken to the Rettle trade, I travel a good deal, as you know. She inclined her head and swept round, so that her eyes rested in the misty veil beneath them. And in my travels, I go near Budmouth. Now, Budmouth is a wonderful place. Wonderful. 
a great salt sheening sea bending into the land like a bow thousands of gentle people walking up and down bands of music playing officers by sea and officers by land walking among the rest out of every ten folks you meet nine of them in love i know it she said disdainfully i know budmouth better than you i was born there my father came to be a military musician there from abroad ah my soul budmouth i wish i was there now the gentleman was surprised to see how a slow fire could blaze on occasion oh, if you were miss he replied in a week's time you would think no more of wild eve than of one of those heath croppers that we see yon now i could get you there how said eustacia with intense curiosity in her heavy eyes my uncle has been for five-and-twenty years the trusty man of a rich widow lady who has a beautiful house facing the sea this lady has become old and lame and she wants a young company-keeper to read and sing to her but can't get one to her mind to save her life though she've advertised in the papers and tried half a dozen she would jump to get you and uncle would make it all easy i should have to work perhaps uh, no not real work you'd have a little to do such as reading and that you would not be wanted till new year's day i knew it meant work she said drooping to languor again i confess there would be a trifle to do in the way of amusing her but though idle people might call it work working people would call it play think of the company and the life you'd lead miss the gaiety you'd see and the gentleman you'd marry my uncle is to inquire for a trustworthy young lady from the country and she don't like town girls it is to wear myself out to please her and i won't go oh if i could live in a gay town as a lady should and go my own ways and do my own doings i'd give the wrinkled half of my life yes redleman that would i help me to get thomason happy miss and the chance shall be yours urged her companion chance tis no chance she said proudly what can a poor man like you offer me indeed i am going indoors i have nothing more to say don't your horses want feeding or your rattle-bags want mending or don't you want to find buyers for your goods that you stay idling here like this van spoke not another word with his hands behind him he turned away that she might not see the hopeless disappointment in his face the mental clearness and power he had found in this lonely girl had indeed filled his manner with misgiving even from the first few minutes of close quarters with her her youth and situation had led him to expect a simplicity quite at the beck of his method but a system of inducement which might have carried weaker country lasses along with it had merely repelled eustacia as a rule the word budmouth meant fascination on egdon that royal port and watering-place if truly mirrored in the minds of the heath folk must have combined in a charming and indescribable manner 
a carthaginian bustle of building with tarentine luxuriousness and buy-in health and beauty eustacia felt little less extravagantly about the place but she would not sink her independence to get there when diggory venn had gone quite away eustacia walked to the bank and looked down the wild and picturesque vale towards the sun which was also in the direction of wildeves the mist had now so far collapsed that the tips of the trees and bushes around his house could just be discerned as if boring upwards through a vast white cobweb which cloaked them from the day there was no doubt that her mind was inclined thitherward indefinitely fancifully twining and untwining about him as the single object within her horizon on which dreams might crystallize the man who had begun by being merely her amusement and would never have been more than her hobby but for his skill in deserting her at the right moments was now again her desire cessation in his love-making had revivified her love such feeling as eustacia had idly given to wild eve was dammed into a flood by thomason she had used to tease wild eve but that was before another had favoured him often a drop of irony into an indifferent situation renders the whole piquant i will never give him up never she said impetuously the rattleman's hint that rumour might show her to disadvantage had no permanent terror for eustacia she was as unconcerned at that contingency as a goddess at a lack of linen this did not originate in inherent shamelessness but in her living too far from the world to feel the impact of public opinion. Zenobia in the desert could hardly have cared what was said about her at Rome. As far as social ethics were concerned, Eustacia approached the savage state, though in emotion she was all the while an epicure. She had advanced to the secret recesses of sensuousness, yet had hardly crossed the threshold of conventionality. End of Book One, Chapter Ten